Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Castaneri-King, and today I'm delighted to have Wen Redman from Stratford, New Hampshire. Took me a few times to practice that. And uh, Wen, I, I'm not sure how to introduce you. Are you a textile artist, a digital fiber artist, or multimedia, or all of the above? Well, I'm an evolving artist, but yes, okay. put all those boxes because my background uh, was in uh, textiles and I kind of just, I'm not a quilter and I don't like to use that word as an intro. So I would okay. say um, I'm, I, I'm a fiber artist. I've been through several incarnations of being a fiber artist. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Oh, yes. But I, but throughout my artistic career, I've always been inspired by being outside and my photography. Mm. So it took a, a long time till the 21st century, really, yeah. to incorporate photography in my work, which I'm doing now full throttle. Yeah. And, um, well, your work is, is just amazing. It's this fabulous semi-abstract and semi-realistic uh, ethereal. How do you explain it to somebody? Oh, that's a lovely description. <laughs> um, that's, that's, I really, I like to emphasize the positive in my work or my positive reflections of what I'm seeing. I used to call it uh, bringing the inside out, um, you know, bringing the imagination uh, to reality sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think an artist or people that have our artistic bends to their personality see things you know mm -hmm. or feel things maybe more deeply if i could go that way yeah um and that's why they need to express it there mm. there's this this urge this uh ever-present um uh ability uh or whatever to to want to bring that out and that's and people ask me how long does a piece of work take you know yeah. i'm like well physically it's it took about this long but really it's my whole life it's it's yeah you know, because you're building when i say i'm an evolving artist i mean that because i'm building on my previous uh incarnations and right. i did write a book two years ago yeah find on amazon <laughs> Yeah, and the name of that is Digital Fiber Art, correct? Yeah, and, and other mixed media surfaces. I wanted it to be called um, Beyond the Surface because it that's how I feel about my art. It is, you know, you're going beyond the surface. I think I saw that in a quick uh, YouTube yeah. interview. Yeah. But, so, but back up to childhood, what, what did you do in childhood artistically or out in nature? Because you say you love nature. Was that a, a strong calling? I was a wild child. I <laughs> Explains your art. No. <laughs> I guess. I mean, um, my mother had issues, and I was on my own a lot. And this is back in the. I'm 70 now, so this is back in the 50s, 
And uh, I just went wherever I wanted, basically. Wow. And, uh, and I, I can remember, <laughs> I got two stories real quick. Um, I remember one time I grew up in New Jersey and they were building a lot of houses then. And I would go into these small pockets of woods that were left. Um, and I remember one time I, I grabbed a tree and I hugged it. I think I was 10. And I screamed <laughs> at the top of my lungs, stop cutting down these trees. Yeah. And at that moment, the chainsaw stopped. So, it <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if they heard me or not, but I was mortified. Yeah. I had no idea that that's a thing. I didn't right. know until I was in my 20s that that tree hugging is a thing. Yeah. Because you can, you, know, can, you can actually connect to that energy that right. trees have. Yeah. And trees have always been um, a major um, subject in my work, you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, my daughter's name is Teresa, and I call her Tree. And there's oh. so many things related like to that. that. Yeah, and the other um, story real quick is uh, I would go down to the stream near my home mm -hmm. and I would chuck rocks against each other to break them because when they're broken inside often are these shiny pieces of, of rock, which I found out later are probably mica or minerals. Right. And I've always loved those too. So, yeah. so it, it all fits together. It I mean, does, yeah. Look at that. These called the rocks are smiling ones. <laughs> Ah, love uh, it. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think there's a mystical connection to that nature and being outside. Yeah. So you said your background was in fiber. Was that fiber arts? Um, actually, my background, I was a home economics teacher. Okay. But I, was, I was not what I used to call a polyester suit home economics teacher. <laughs> I was uh, out of the box. Out of the box. I've always <laughs> been a little out of the box. I never realized I was out of the box until, you know, much later in life. But for instance, um, two, two examples of that. I taught at a, what was called a slow learner school mm -hmm. back before mainstreaming. Yeah. And I was teaching a class of meal preparation and how you eat with your eyes. And the kids are like, ah, rah, rah, sure, sure. So, so we colored food. We made a meal and we made just mashed potatoes. We put green dye in those. And we cooked chicken. We put red dye in that. You know, food dye, not yeah. dye dye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't remember. Anyway, the kids insisted that the mashed potatoes tasted like mint and the chicken tasted was raw, even though they had just cooked it. So that, that drove that home. Sure. And one of my first jobs in uh, New Hampshire was at Master Cola Middle School in Merrimack. Okay. And uh, I taught sewing. And the teacher before us taught aprons. And I couldn't think of anything more boring to make. <laughs> so we did soft sculptures. And the kids designed their own patterns. And they made like their initials or pencils. And we, you know, we drew them out on paper and they added oh. theme lines and yada yada and and then we made them wow and, um we hung them from the ceiling on string and invited the principal to tea well you should have seen his face when he walked in. i wish i'd have been a fly on that wall <laughs> but the kids learned how to sew so that yeah. and more fun too yeah 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 you know it's just taking them out of that I think they get so bored with the status quo of everything oh, yes. you're supposed to do it's like let me do something that my mind is just engaged yeah. entirely in yeah. a different way you know yeah, waking, them up. 
That's awesome. They don't really have those classes anymore. No, they phased out home economics, which is unfortunate because many of the um, uh, subjects are life skills. Uh, for instance, I taught consumer science, which was about learning about advertising and how it draws you in. So you want things you don't necessarily need yeah. or can pay for. Right. Um, family relationships, child development, which I still feel that if child development was offered, there'd be a lot less child abuse because people don't know that kids aren't capable of a certain thing. In a certain That's state. absolutely so, so true. Yeah, our, our education system needs an overhaul. <laughs> oh, it does. You know, finances, these kids, that's just basic life skills that many of yes. them are just not getting, unfortunately. That's right, it's true. Yeah. So, um, so what happened? When did you start getting into all this? Well, initially, stuff? to go back, I, um, at the Occupational Slow Learner School, I found a box of material. Oh. And I had fun just put, sewing the pieces together. And then I used an old blanket to uh, sew those, essentially quilting, but I did it by machine. Is this, now, is this your... Yeah, were you had you quilted before then, or was this kind of I didn't like? No, I was quilting. Okay, <laughs> this is back in. That's what I thought. Seventy-two, three or four. Yeah. And and machine quilting. I mean, I don't know when we started machine quilting. It was probably until the late nineties when someone it, saw you do it, and that's it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I did it, and then I it was I made a pillow. It wasn't yeah. very big, but. I didn't know what I was doing until I, and then I moved to New Hampshire. I met my husband. He was living here. So I joined a quilt guild and I learned I was doing everything wrong. And I listened to them. <laughs> but I, part time, right? Yeah, I evolved out of that uh, eventually. Um, we, uh, uh, there was a splinter group called the Renegades. This is probably late 80s. Yep. And, uh, and you were the president. <laughs> Yeah, no, actually, there, we were a good group. Uh, Susan Carlson, she's a, a very good fiber artist uh, from Maine now, uh, was in it. And Susan Savory, who is um, an artist now in California. Anyway, we have not met for a number of years. Lisa Gray was in it. And um, it was wonderful because we encouraged each other. We challenged each other. We did funky things like we had a, a brown bag challenge where we all put stuff into a bag and we traded okay. and we had to make something from it. <laughs> oh, and I, made, I made a wonderful piece called Beyond Gender. And this wow. was that I was going through um, a stage where I was really questioning my religious um, upbringing, which I didn't have, but I don't know. I was getting into the goddess thing and I was questioning and there's a book called uh, the dance of the dissident daughter okay by Susan Monk Kidd that really influenced me and it's all about questioning the present paradigm of patriarchal religious structures yes anyway to go back to the piece it was called yeah. Beyond gender because I felt that God is really not um, a male sitting up there in the sky judging us. We're the, our worst judges, by the way. Yes. But rather, it's beyond gender. Right. Yeah. So I call that spirit the mind-boggling spirit of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that was, um, you were very progressive for your times back then, too. I I, well, I was encouraged by that book that, yeah. that started me on the road. And then when my kids left uh, for college, I went back to school and took a class about um, 
what was it, women's religious studies or something. And, and it's mm -hmm. fascinating because women have no idea way, way back, there was a matriarchal structure to our world. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, much like today was a patriarchal, yeah. although that's slowly changing, I think. Partnership model would be the best because both sexes have their strong points. Yeah, I'm, re I'm reading a book called, I, can't, I wish I could remember the author. The book name is Wild Mercy, and it's what? talking about all the women mystics throughout history. It's just fascinating. Have really excellent book. Um, I do have the author's name. It's on my Kindle, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's not in front of me. So <laughs> yeah, no. I, so how did that influence your work? Did that have some influence? I went through a whole period of expressing, like I did another piece called Mother Goddess. You know, I went, oh gosh, I can't even remember. She, oh, um, let me think. Uh, Boats Leaving, I can't remember the title. Anyway, but mm -hmm. a lot of these are on my website, but they're older works, but they're still, you know, poignant. Mirabi Star, that's her name. Mirabi Star, M-I-R-A-B-I. Wild Mercy, Mirabi Star. Anyway, <laughs> my daughter and I are both reading it, so we kind of compare. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Where did your daughter live? I, well, I, just before I called you, my two daughters, one lives in Nashville, one lives in Atlanta, and they were together and called me on a Zoom call. And I was, was like, I got not a Zoom, I FaceTime. So one's in Atlanta, one's in Nashville, and two sons in Cincinnati. Wow. I, See, they I, all leave. They all leave. My, my, my daughter's in North Carolina. My son's in New York City. He's a healthcare worker right now oh, during the pandemic. Um, How's he done? He's done okay? Yeah. He's so far so good, but, you know, I don't know. It's, it's an issue. The whole thing is an issue. Yeah. For such a big country, we really should have more things in place by now. <laughs> and my other son is uh, moving to California. Ah, far. We're all moving away. <laughs> I know. I know. We did it right now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We set a precedent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm sorry to interrupt. So go on. You were talking about how it influenced your work. Yes. Well, yeah. Um. I think my work is somewhat bio, biographical, mm. you know, because my, uh, I don't want to say emotions, maybe feelings, maybe strong feelings come out through the work. But um, after that, I started painting fabric, um, which is something I never thought I was going to do. I didn't use commercial fabrics. I slowly evolved into this, slowly replacing commercially available fabrics with hand-painted fabrics. I'm sorry, what fabrics? Hand-painted. Oh, hand-painted. Hand-painted. Okay. And that launched me into a whole uh, era, probably a good 10 years, of, of exploring all the different kinds of surface design wow. that's available. Um, you know, making your own stamps. I didn't use commercial stamps. I, God forbid I use commercial stamps. Making your own stamps, making your stencils. Um, I got a Thermofax machine. And the Thermofax machine is, is something they used to make mimeographs with in uh, teaching. Okay, yeah. Duplication before the copier machines. Yeah. And you can uh, make silk screens with these because they use heat. And there's a screen that's partially um, polyester mesh, and it has a light coating of plastic on top. Okay. So you put a carbon copy of a photograph on top, wow. put them together, put them through the machine. The machine melts the plastic, allowing for this great detail 
on a, on a silk screen that you can't get if you if you do it with yourself mm-hmm. and that's how initially i got my photography on on my my work okay yeah with that and then mm-hmm. you know going but painting fabric is very much like painting probably anything you know you you get into it and you know it, there's a, a level of spontaneity sure. which i love i embrace serendipity in fact i taught a class called serendipity collage for oh. a number of years where we worked on a very large surface, whether it's paper or fabric as a base. Yeah. And then you just kind of free, free, free flow collage it. Wow. And then you cut them down. And then there's other processes, like we add wash and mediums and threads and stitching and all of that. But the point is, is at the end of the story, you cut them down into smaller pieces. And it's a serendipitous collage because each smaller piece becomes um, a composition and it's surprising. Wow. You know, a lot of people didn't want to cut them, but then they did. And oh, it, right. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. It was, I, I would like to do that some more in the future, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Did I you say you carried on the class or you gave the class? Was that one of one? No, no, it was, I, I originated the class. You originated the class. Okay. Yeah. So I do want to get to those, but I have to know about your studio. Like what does it look like? <laughs> Okay, well, I've, you know, I've been at this for a number of years, and I've had a number of studios. Yeah. So my first, very first studio, we have, we used to live in a um, 200-year-old cape in the other side of Stratford from where I am now, and there was a small little room that wasn't really good for anything, and I ended up setting up my studio in there. Thank God I had a huge closet. (laughs) <laughs> and and, uh, and I did my work in there for a number of years. I actually started, um, I applied and juried into the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen around then. Mm-hmm. 90, 90, 1990, I juried into the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen. Mm-hmm. I was doing artware. So I was using my painted fabrics in, in artware and I curved pieced the uh, sections of the of the uh, garment so that the entire piece was very fluid and flowy and accented the female figure Mm -hmm. um anyway sold those for a number of years from this tiny little studio and i was in a book put together by charlie freiberg and oh i can't remember the other person's name i don't remember it's probably on the league website but that was a long time ago Mm. anyway so that I learned was a boarding room. And um, because w- women didn't go to the hospital back in the day, they, they had a room in the home for birthing and dying. Wow. And, yeah. So that was, <laughs> it was an interesting um, parallel that, that, that the uh, creativity was, was born in for the first, right. my first studio. Mm-hmm. Anyway, from there I had a, uh, we, the kids left for college eventually, and then I took over one of their rooms, and then we moved the bas- master bedroom to another room, and I had this huge master bedroom as my studio. I love it. Oh, it's great. And at the same time, I decided I needed to get, quote, unquote, out there with my studio. So okay. I took a studio at the uh, Samifol Mills in yep. Rollinsford. And I had that for about nine years, mm-hmm. and it was wonderful, and I loved it. I miss it. But I found my working style was more um, 
there for me in the morning, my clarity and my inspiration and and energy. And I let that go when we built the house at the lake. So now I have a largish studio, um, very well designed because I've used every inch of space to fit my various uh, equipments. That's awesome. Very, very nice. That's where I am now. (laughs) Yeah. So you know how to store everything. So you're really a pioneer through this. I mean, no one else is doing quite what you're doing. Talk about the printing. Like I read about uh, digital silk. And and you make your own substrates to paint, to uh, print on. And you put that through the printer. I mean, my mind is like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mentioned my book earlier. When I wrote the book, I just have to preface that I started out just going to write about the digital work. But then I realized I use my painted fabrics. I take photographs of those to combine with my photographs in Photoshop. So I'm using a prior skill in the present endeavor to create something new. So I found out that I had to to include a lot of my prior processes in the book, which made the book a lot lengthier. They didn't include everything I sent them. (laughs) It was a lot of material. Of course, right. Right, so, but I started out printing um, probably around 2005. I got my first printer. I had a printer, but this is what I'm saying. My first printer was a 2400 uh, Epson Photo Stylus printer. Okay. So it's a got a, has a little bit more quality than a, an all-in-one or a workforce. Yeah. And how big can that print? Well, that particular printer prints 13 inches wide, mm. which is just it's does it's only two inches wider than a regular printer, but it does help. It makes a difference. Um, in addition, the ink quality and so forth is, is better. The ink itself is uh, light fast, um, water resistant, and uh, one other thing, fade proof for t- guaranteed for 200 years, whatever. Wow. Uh-huh. And then if you use um, a fabric that is digitally prepared, that is has a ground or um, an inkjet preparation on it. Wow. The combination of the two, of the, the uh, better ink and the digitally prepared fabric gives you a very permanent um, uh, result. So, so I started out, I, I was doing a lot of mixed media with fabric at the time mm-hmm. and mounting those in stretcher bars. And I was sewing them together and so forth. And I was printing silk organza. This is digital silk organza, which you can find um, on Dharma catalog. It's made by Jacquard and it's digitally prepared. So the silk organza obviously is floppy. So in order to get that to go through your printer, you have to uh, buy, uh, it's, I'm sorry, you have to, um, okay, I'm backing up here. The digital silk organza comes paperbacked. Okay, so it'll okay. go it's through. Appeared, right, so it goes through just like paper. In fact, I use paper setting because um, wow. you don't want an overload of ink on, on this uh, substrate because silk organza is somewhat transparent. The ink will sink through that yeah. and lay on the um, paper. And then, and then you remove the paper? 
right. Oh. And when you remove the paper, because the ink has sunk through the silk or gonza, as you're removing the paper, you're pulling it up and it's got a second image yeah. on the paper. Yeah. One and I used to use this in my mixed media work, but one time I was peeling the paper off and I'm like, oh, I'm seeing two images here. Oh, this looks 3D. Oh, how can I put that into my work? Yeah, now this explains a little bit because I've seen your work and it's it's mesmerizing. You just sit <laughs> in there like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. So, so what I ended up doing was I would make the silk organza. I'd sew that into fabric borders okay. and I'd melt that on stretcher bars. Now the stretcher bars can't be too thick because if you're because it makes the second image, which is then mounted on the inside of the backing. And I had mm -hmm. to find the backing that was durable enough to mm -hmm. take the image. Yeah. And, and the reason I, had a tr I needed to use a transfer because my printer only did 13 inches wide and often these would be 20 inches wide. So I had to figure out a transfer method because the photograph would be smaller than mm -hmm. the entire piece, right? Okay. I ended up using a wonderful interfacing and I have a favorite products tab on my blog and at the blog, I cringe when I tell people this, but I didn't name it. It was my son. It's called Fiber Art Goddess. <laughs> okay. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, I didn't know it was permanent forever and ever. But anyway, kids do these things too. I know. I know. <laughs> so anyway, there's a favorite products tab, and you can get the link for this interfacing. I love it. It's strong, and it's made of uh, part uh, rayon, part polyester, so it takes the transfer very well. Whereas if it was straight polyester, polyester sensitive to heat and heat is used in the transfer. <laughs> so you have to be uh, yeah. aware of that when you're transferring. Anyway, so I put that photograph that's on the inside, on the polyester, on the back. So what the end result is, is you're looking through the silk organza printed photograph to the very same image that's on the backing of the inside. And you get this 3D kind of effect. Wow. And it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. It's almost like, is that what you call the holographic thing? It is. That's what yes. Yeah. So I thought, oh my goodness, I've got, to, I've got to do something because I've just invented this thing. So how, how do your, your pieces, um, do they just kind of create as you're going? Like, what do, you, what do you start with? Do you have the whole thing in your head? Or does it happen? <laughs> well, let me just finish. I just want to tell you, I published that technique, the holographic technique in your book, Quilting Arts. And then they invited me on their TV show, and I made a DVD, which isn't available anymore oh. um, because of that. That was my way of, of putting my name to the piece without going through the copyright um, yeah. process. Wow. As far as my art, I call that my flow. Okay. Um, uh, so when I make pieces, I don't, I sometimes, uh, yes, I do start with a plan. Sometimes. Okay. Um, I get an idea of what I want and what I think I want. Yeah. And what happens is the art takes over. Okay. So you're, you're, you'll be in the making of the, of the item. Fiber art is quite a lengthy process because there's a it's lot of bits of sewing in between. And um, materiality doesn't often match up to what you see in your head. Right. So there has to be a dialogue happening. Um, otherwise, I if otherwise you're forcing it. And whenever I force a piece to be what I think it should be, it doesn't work out. So I have to allow for these insights that happen. 
And sometimes I'll pin, I have a piece on my board right now. Um, I'll pin it, I get stuck. I'm like, what should I do next? And if I rush it, which I'd like to do because I'm impatient by nature. <laughs> this I'll, is a long process. Yeah, I go for a walk. Yeah. In the first 15 minutes of the walk, my head's going through the list. I'll say, I got to do this. And, the, da, 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 da. and then, and then the, the next 10 minutes, it's like, I should have said this and I should have said that kind of thing, right? About a half an hour out in the walk, thing, that's all gone. The monkey mind's done. And then things come through. And I've had the most amazing revelations really? uh, regarding art and my personal life after I get that done. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's an important reflection or what I call percolation is an important part of right. the art process. And then you can come back to it, you know, and hopefully things will move forward. Yeah, it just sounds fascinating. Um, yeah, it sounds fascinating. I love it. It's a big part of my life. I mean, yeah. I just, um, I don't know. So, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I just, no, I was going to change subjects. So if you had something. Nope, nope, that's it. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to talk about, um, well, two things. I, I do want to get into your teaching and all that, but, <clears throat> and this probably kind of dovetails with it, but how has, you know, being in quarantine here affected your art and certainly your teaching? Well, hasn't at all. So here's what happened. I, I after I published my book, I, um, when you publish, you have to commit to five or so things out of a list of 15 or so things you will do, excuse me, to promote your book. And one of those things was for me was teaching. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate to be able to teach all over the country and in Japan and Australia as well. Wow. And, and I just, um, I traveled, you know, to teach. I haven't taught locally, although that's, I haven't crossed that off, but in 2020, I decided I would retire. So I, from teaching, okay. so I retired in, in January. Okay. And uh, so therefore the quarantine hasn't affected me, my art, that, uh, that is to say yeah. at all. In okay. fact, it's given me um, more time, which right. is what I needed. Right. I needed to get back in the studio to see where it would go. Cause when I read, when I wrote the book, you go, you go to this place and then the book's done, right? But I'm not. So I keep thinking of other things. So when you mentioned before about um, creating substrates to go through the printer, I evolved from using the commercially available digital fabric to creating a, my own digital fabric. And there's this wonderful product um, called Ink Aid, and you can find it online. It's inkaid1ibelieve.com. Again, mm. that's on my favorite products page. <clears throat> and what this is is essentially um, a medium that you paint on your surface, whether it's painted fabric, uh, 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 papers, um, anything really. But the point is, is that you can make your substrates. And this is what I'm trying to emphasize when I was teaching my digital explorations class, but also in the book. And so for instance, you can take watercolor paper, cut it apart, sew back together, put the ink aid on it and run it through your printer. Obviously it's going to be a little thicker than paper. So yeah. you might have to encourage your printer to take it. And <laughs> one of the ways to do, there's two ways that I found. One of the ways is if you have a thin section, 
of your substrate to put that in the printer first. First. Yep. The <laughs> other way is to mount it on a carrier sheet and the carrier sheet has to be sort of thin. Yeah. So interfacing again has become, uh, it's very useful. So you, you make your file or you go into Photoshop or I even do this in Word. You insert a, fo um, a photo in Word and then you can use the borders to uh, position your photo. Tape your substrate using um, double stick tape onto that and then run it through your printer. So the printer's grabbing this interfacing or whatever you're using for a carrier sheet first. Right. Then your, your substrate will, will go through the printer more easily. Yeah. Generally, there's always- It doesn't know what's coming. Yes, it doesn't. You're fooling your printer. I love to fool the printer. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, so as far as you, so that's sad to hear that you're not teaching. I saw one you did an actual outdoor workshop. Tell us about that. It's like I don't remember that one per se. It probably was fabric painting or something. Yeah, it was, it was messy. Yeah, it was kind of cool. It was where did I see that now? You know, there is an element um, of in and out when you're. So when I was teaching the digital explorations workshop, for example. Um, the emphasis being on creating the substrate. Not, I wasn't teaching Photoshop or anything in that. Okay. It what because they can do that, and a lot of them have skills in that regard. But the point yeah. of the workshop was exploring the different substrates. So we would do, we would paint um, fabrics, papers, tissue paper, and other things, and we put them on plastic outside to dry. Yeah. why we continued um, on other things. Right. Um, one of the substrates that I was able to make a DVD with was is molding paste. Molding paste um, is, uh, well, do you know cream cheese icing? <laughs> it's that spreadable, it's kind yeah. of thick, it's not runny if you make it right. Yeah. <laughs> so molding paste is very similar to that, or caulking, only caulking is a little stiffer, actually. Okay. And I use lightweight molding paste. Mm -hmm. And um, so what I discovered, I don't even know how I discovered molding paste. I was exploring mediums at, back in the day, excuse me. <laughs> anyway, so you spread it. You can spread it very thinly on a substrate. Again, I use my interfacing mostly for this. Okay. And you can paint the interfacing or leave the interfacing white. You can even paint the interfacing black because the, the uh, molding paste is white. And the photograph shows up the best when you print on it. Let me just back up before that. But when you print on it, uh, the photograph shows up the best on the white molding paste. So if, you're, if your image is, you're interfacing and painting black, for instance, the image only shows up on the white. So you can create this really cool edge surface. Mm. Um, and it's very mystical and wonderful. I love it. Mm. Um, Anyway, the molding paste does need, for sure, an ink aid um, uh, preparation to uh, have the inkjet ink stay on the molding paste when it's done printing. Wow! I usually let my <laughs> I usually let my prints dry overnight, and then, depending again on what the substrate is, I'll apply a protection on top. Okay. And I started out applying a Krylon spray. Um, on top of these, you only want to hit it just to cover and then stop because if you start puddling on some sub substrates, you'll actually start puddling inkjet ink, even though it's been prepped. Yeah. So you just hit it very quickly. Krylon is very stinky. 
So that's another thing we do outside. Yeah. Um, and in fact, once you've sprayed in my workshops, that is, once you've sprayed the Krylon on top of your uh, your printed photographs, you, you do, you're not allowed to bring them back in the studio because yeah. it's really, really stinky. But I have found um, another product by Liquitex, and it's a spray satin varnish, mm. which has absolutely no odor. So that was just something I've discovered this year. Wow. So you're always, I'm always exploring products. You yeah. can also paint liquid satin varnish on top. Oh. But if you paint on certain substrates like molding paste, you have to do it very quickly because, again, this can lift the inkjet ink. Wow. But once that's on and dry, you're good to go. Amazing. So you've really paved the way for people to figure out the best process and all this. Um, is there anywhere that people could go to learn this? Do you know about any other teachers doing anything like it? At the, at, I don't. I don't. There, there is my book. <laughs> yes, yes. So definitely the book. And, and um, at some point in 2020, I will try to start learning about online teaching because I don't really know of how to do that. Um, I know there's platforms set up already to do right. that because there's been online uh, art teaching for some time. It's I know. And one of our kids, if they lived nearby, right, they could help yes. us. They're all yes. oh, oh. Well, actually, I spend uh, winters away with my daughter. Nice. So she could probably help me, although she's quite busy herself teaching. Yeah. Um, and as she teaches at App State in, in Boone, North Carolina. Yeah. And they are not physically meeting at this time because of the pandemic. Sure. But she, she's skilled in that. Her, her uh, subject is, is uh, media literacy, oh. which is kind of a, a 21st century version of consumer science. Yeah. Because there are so many more venues for advertising. Mm. And in addition, there are privacy issues. Whenever you use a device, I call computers and iPhones and iPads devices, whenever you use that, there are certain ways that uh, people can follow your, your uh, uh, what you Google, for instance, yeah. and so on. It's and she scary. gave an example in her class. She suggested to the students that they choose something that they've never researched before, like pregnancy or a motorcycle or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and 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 see what happens. And within the day, they're getting advertisements for that. It's really kind of freaky. So I'm going to go even one step further. I, my husband and I, we swear that we just talk about something. Oh yes. <laughs> and we're we're like we get freaked out because suddenly an ad, and it's like, did you Google that? No, did you? Know? I, yes. Neither yes. of us did. And well, do you have a, do you have that smart uh, Alexis or anything like that? No. no. Well, we actually have one we, that one of the kids gave us for Christmas. Oh. They're not listening to this, so I don't have to worry. We've never, you know, we do, for that reason, we don't want it. Yeah. Well, my, yeah. But I don't, I, they say the cell phone's listening too, because that's, yeah. that's very yeah. enabled. So here's the thing. There's a joke. I think I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> of, um, I told a joke to my husband or something, and he laughed, and I laughed, and Alexis laughed. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know it's getting spooky. Yeah. So, um, so she might know even about that. It'd be interesting to know her thoughts. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And my other son in computer science. Ooh. <laughs> oh, so 
you get yes. all the intel and and you get the the, the the news straight from new york city so <laughs> on the house. oh my gosh you got it all over there wow yeah I uh, <laughs> um so yeah i i think these days because i've been exploring this myself a youtube channel would be fascinating for you to yeah just yeah. demonstrate little snippets of things if nobody's out there doing it. I mean, it's, it just sounds like you have this yeah. incredible knowledge and it, although it's in your book to also see it would be. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I, I, there's so many ways of learning and a lot of people learn by seeing right. some by reading, some by doing. Right. Um, I have, I don't know quite how to set that up yet. I actually have purchased a uh, holder to stick on my table with a clamp. For my first up, you got it going, <laughs> but I haven't explored that yet. I will eventually, I suppose, because yeah. it's inevitable. Yeah, I think you can fool around with it privately before you would do anything publicly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I have made YouTubes before, but they're generally from stills with the with that fade in, fade out kind of thing. Oh, okay, well, you're I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> They're old. I haven't done that. I got. I went through a YouTube phase. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to the new ones because I can oh, tell right. that you're. Yes, it would be awesome to have that. So, um, what is success to you? Success. Yeah. What does success mean? Oh, I would say that there's two indicators for me. Okay. If I look at a piece and say I like it. Yeah. A lot of times, if I like it enough, I keep it. Or if I like it enough, I'll put a good price tag on it and yeah. hope it comes home. Um, the, and that leads into the second meter of success for me, which is selling my work. Yeah. So I recently sent a piece off to an exhibit um, and it sold. And I had a pretty good tag on it um. and I was stunned. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when somebody buys my work, yeah. That's, that's like a big old pat on the back. In this case, it was a big hug, but you know, it's, it's, it's when someone else gravitates toward it. Right. One of the nicest things I ever heard though, was someone came into my studio at the mill and she was looking at a piece on the wall, which I have subsequently kept. Anyway, she looked at it and she said, you know, and she turned for a long time. And I thought, oh, geez, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> and she turned to me and she said, you know, when I can feel that energy that you put into this piece. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, I, I would. I thank you. I mean, wow, that that's success. <laughs> that's success. Yeah. To reach another. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I love it. So how do you typically sell? You mentioned you send things out to shows. Is that a common Yes. Thing? Well, that's gone through different transitions as well. I used to do at the mill. Um, we used to, they still do, I imagine, have open studios and, and folks would come in and right. I sold a lot there. Yeah. Um, I did about six years, I think, doing the craft booth thing. Uh, I did a few shows in New Jersey, Massachusetts, at Paradise City, and of course the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen Sunapee Fair. Mm -hmm. um, and for that, you need a lot of biceps <laughs> because you're you're handling your uh, ten by ten booth, which comes in three by six or eight or seven foot high panels. Yeah, um, which you need to set up. And I learned, oh, I did the Boston Craft Show too. Um, uh, yeah, I set, I 
learned that in order to set those up, you don't set them up side by side. You make a right angle with the first two mm. and then you build off of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I went through that learning process, you know, how to put up lights and yada, yada, yada. Uh, wow. Um, and that was, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed mostly the reaction interaction right. between people coming in the booth. But um, I'm not a spring chicken, and, and I decided I had to stop doing that. Mm. I have a, a, a number of brick-and-mortar galleries. Unfortunately, a couple of those have closed. Uh, Sharon Arts Center was one of my first, and that has um, closed uh, this past fall because they were purchased um, by the Art Institute in Manchester, I think. Okay. And uh, they didn't think it was a viable gallery. It was very unfortunate. It was a beautiful gallery. Of course, and then of course the league galleries. I have extended into different galleries. I was in the Tappan Zee Gallery for a number of years and, you know, Barrasock Gallery in, in uh, Provincetown. Yep. And um, they like to change out the artists. So, you're, you know, you come and go in, in the different galleries. And then of course I have an Etsy shop. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. The Etsy shop has some of my older yet wonderful retired works that I no longer show um, for a very good price. Um, painted fabrics uh, and other collectibles. I have an eBay store, but that's nothing to do with my art. I sell things on that. Uh, what else do I have that I sell? I used to, I tried a blog, selling on a blog, which a sales blog, I called it. But that got absolutely no traffic because you really have to get it, you know, market it all the time. And I'm not the best marketer, I guess. So. And one other place, oh, Artful Home. I sell on Artful Home, which is uh, artfulhome.com. And if you do a search for my name, you can find my work on that. Okay. And, and what uh, sizes are your pieces? How, what, right? uh, how, what sizes are these works? Oh, I go from six by six small panels to 12 by 12. Those are my standard panel sizes. And then the larger pieces are any size. They, they, I, mm, I've got one on the wall over there, uh, 30 by 50, mm -hmm. uh, 48 by 40, uh, 32 by 30, you know, they're all different sizes. Um, and that depends on what I can achieve with a particular photograph. I have found because I'm printing on different substrates and fabric, you don't need the top resolution for um, the particular photograph. What you do need is an inkjet printer that will print more dots per inch DPI. Mm -hmm. yeah. nice. And I think I saw on your website some small works. You have a yeah. I have a sampling of small works. Yeah, on my uh, website, and I think I have links to all of the things I've mentioned uh, as far as where I sell. Um, the small work uh, hmm, that tends to be on my Etsy shop. It used to be on my blog, um, and I I could easily uh, put put that up and take it down if it was in a show or something because I, you know, but uh, yeah. Nice. Beautiful. Um, what did we, did we forget? Anything you can think of? You did might we forget anything? <laughs> anything you want to 
There's so many things. It's you did, hard a, to you did a nice interview on um, textileartist.org. That was a good interview. Yes, it yes. Kind of walked through a, the creating of a piece. Yeah. So that's I'll I, link that in the. Yeah, uh, that's I have on my blog on the sidebar, chronologically the latest at the top, going down to later ones, um, my different, you know, interviews and such. I was um, Leslie Riley. Uh, uh, her radio station, this is a number of years ago, John Hopper from England has a wonderful um, digital magazine called Inspirations. Wow. Inspirational, inspirational. And, and that's um, usually up on my Facebook feed. Uh, I just this morning shared a, a, a link from his um, oh, nice. And they're just great magazines. They're very, you know, inspirational. <laughs> yeah. So you're on Facebook and you're on Instagram, Gwen, W-E-N, Redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N-D. And right. your website is the same, gwenredmond.com. Yeah. Um, I try to keep my name, except for the blog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what advice would you give to other artists in particular on oh, strange yeah. circumstances? <laughs> We find ourselves. A lot of people hesitate to call themselves artists, mm. and I think I think uh, giving your permission, giving yourself permission. The other thing is to listen to your own voice, yeah. and sometimes you can't hear your own voice because of whatever busyness or what have you. So you need to set aside time to listen to your own voice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your voice is just a whisper, <laughs> you know, the muse. Yeah. Um, and you really have to uh, listen hard to hear it. I I think I think basically uh, just giving yourself permission and and not listening necessarily to what other people say. I I part of being a group is you often have critiques. Yeah. And I think when you're beginning, perhaps these can be informative, but as you get on, as it were. Um, the other voices aren't necessarily your voice. Right. So they might be giving you advice, but it's not necessarily something that would be good for your art, you know? Yeah. So you just have to um, embrace your own, your own uh, vision and, and go with that and, uh, yeah. and see what happens. I mean, you can always change. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't have to stay the same. That's, that's In fact, I never have. <laughs> I'm always yeah. evolving. I mean, I don't get the artists that, that uh, I mean, there are some wonderful artists that, that kind of do the same thing over and over, only in different ways. And in a way, I envy that, but it's not for me. That's all. It's, it's not my vision of what I want to do. I always want to try something new. Yeah. Listen, what can I do different than uh how can I present this piece? You know, it's not always just about the substrate, the photograph, the, the, uh, the actual, uh, it's the process. Yeah. How can I make this, uh, present this differently? Yeah. yeah, that's, that's great advice. I, um, now that we've been sort of in this lockdown for about two months, I just realized like the knots in the back of my neck are loosening up. <laughs> it was just yesterday. I was doing yoga and I thought, well, those are just so much better, you know, yeah. it's taken two months, but, yeah. but I like that. And I, you know, um, I've had so much more time to do exploration. Um, and, and I, it's for me, it's like all new ground. 
it's <laughs> it's very scary to just like have time and space and you know medium and stuff to just do like who's looking i can do whatever i want <laughs> you know whenever i feel stuck or i feel intimidated i think is what you're saying if you just go into your studio you could just walk around. I forget what I have. I'll say, oh, what's this? I forgot I have and try it out. Or just get out some materials and start painting or get out some cloth. You know, just start. Right. And then it happens. I mean, it's not going to start if it doesn't, if you're not facilitating the working on it. Yeah, I think we live yeah. under so much um, deadline and this yeah. show's coming and I've got to do this for that and this for that and this for that. And all of a sudden that's gone. Yeah, right? it's true. It's gone. Well, that brings up the other subject of uh, themed shows. Yeah. You know, climate change show or pandemic show or um, Cosmo show, whatever. Yeah. And I have worked for the show as it were for right. the exhibit. Um, but generally, I prefer not to. I feel that that state gets stale. Um, I just like to embrace what I'm doing. But sometimes a show challenge can spark a creative uh, venture, too. So there's, yeah. you know, deadlines are good, but not necessarily always. <laughs> well, and I think that for me, I just have lived so long under the deadline that this kind of, it's almost yeah. like free falling. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll do whatever. I'm going to go do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i i like that advice that's really good advice and and to yeah. you know keep it when we ever get out of this is keep that feeling yeah yeah you know, these are odd times for sure mm -hmm. you know um a lot of people not a lot of people there are people that are saying yeah. we can't go back to the way we were i mean right. this has given us time to reevaluate time yeah to reevaluate um, and maybe make a better world. I certainly hope so. I sure do hope, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely find the things that are working. I mean, in some ways it's a little more, maybe a lot more stressful, you know, just yeah. to, in particular to think of what's going on out there for, for people less fortunate than say my, my husband and I oh. are still working, you know, and I think yeah. of these people who yeah. are just losing everything. It's so sad. It, it it is very it's uh i can't go there in my head because it's, it's hard always, yeah. it's very very hard i i agree it's, um, I mean, they, they stay home that's what you can do <laughs> like okay yeah. you want to well, do something right i feel very grateful to be able to do my art to not worry about certain things um to have family uh these are strange times and everybody uh, is stressed at different levels. Right. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll come out better. There must be a silver lining. I think so. There's a silver lining. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really enjoyed this interview and getting to um, demystify a little bit of your work. I, I've seen it at the um, New Hampshire Art Association on occasion and it's just fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So everybody's got to get over to your website, whenredmond.com, and a lot of links on there to take you all over the place. So thank you so <laughs> Enjoy. much. That's the point. Enjoy the process. That's right. Yes, I love it. 
Well, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Okay. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. you got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.